Hey everyone, this is Adam Bergman, founder and CEO of Irie Financial. Welcome to another episode of AdBits, where I will be sharing bits of knowledge about self-directed retirement. If you want to learn more, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media. Just search IRA Financial. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of AdBits. I'm Adam Bergman, tax attorney and founder of IRA Financial. And on today's AdBits, going to focus on the IRS's loss on attacking the self-directed Roth IRA. So anytime the IRS loses a case, especially when it relates to Roth IRAs, I'm going to focus on it. And I'm going to add a little bit of energy because nothing makes me happier. And in this case, it's actually really important because it focuses on the doctrine of substance over form, or as the court suggested, form over substance. And the whole concept is that of substance over form or form of a substance is that the IRS tries to use this doctrine, substance over form, to prove that when a taxpayer engages in some tax planning technique or structure or solution, it's not important that the actual form of the transaction reflects the law, but they focus on the substance that, hey, all they're trying to do is save money. There's no economic substance here. It's a sham and it should not be respected. And in this case, the Ninth Circuit reversed an initial ruling on, on the Mazai versus Commissioner, Mazai versus Commissioner, and it followed a Summa Holdings versus Commissioner. And I'll get into these cases in detail, but it basically said you have to respect the form of the transaction. And the form was that a Roth IRA was able to own a foreign service corporation. And we'll go into some details about what a foreign service corp is what a DISC is, and then talk about why it's important that the form of the transaction was respected over the substance. But the Ninth Circuit basically followed the Summa case, which is almost identical facts as the Mazai case, and I think it got to the right conclusion. So it's a big win for taxpayers over the IRS, um, and I think it, um, you know, is something that is important to share with all of you. So you can get a better idea of kind of what's at stake, what the IRS is looking to attack and how powerful the Roth IRA is because it's codified. It's in the tax code under 408A. And in this case, the fact that the DISC rules were also in the, in codified by Congress um, added a lot of power to the argument and the taxpayers were victorious and the IRS lost in uh, its appeal, or I guess the taxpayers want it in its appeal. So um, really important case. So let's start with the case. Let's go through some of the facts, okay? And you can I'll go through them pretty quick. So let's start with the SUMA case, which was a, the facts go back all the way to 2001. This family, the Benninsons, they put in about 3,500 bucks. So James and Clement, each put about $3,500 a piece, and the Roth IRAs owned what's called a DISC, which is basically a you know, foreign uh, corporation, okay? And it's a corporation that has some tax benefits for uh, exports, okay? And it's something that actually has um, you know, been 
struck down, and that's why the, the Foreign uh, Sales Corporation took over, but it's essentially a domestic international sales corp, and it was used by Congress to provide our exporters with a little bit more of an edge over uh, some other countries in the export world. So what these rules suggested is that if you have one of these corporations set up, you can shelter some of your foreign income uh, from taxation. So what these people did is they had their Roth IRAs on these disks, and then when the disk distributed the money up, it would go into the Roth IRA, which would be tax-free, versus going to an individual, which would eventually pay tax. So from 2002 to 2008, the Benetons, they transferred over $5 million bucks from SUMA Holdings to their Roth IRAs, including $1.4 million in 2008. And um, you know the IRS took a look at this. So what's a DISC? As I mentioned, 1971, Congress authorized the creation of a domestic international sales corp to incentivize U.S. corps to export their goods. And this is going back to um, just giving us uh, American companies more equal footing in the international commerce stage. And the way it worked is that exporting company pays commissions to the disc of up to 4% of gross receipts or 50% of net income from qualified exports. And the disc pays no tax on commissions up to 10 million. And uh, IRAs were actually permitted as shareholders, which is an important fact. So the IRS uh, looked at the Benetton's case. They said, this isn't right. You invest 3,500 bucks, generate 5 million. Uh, I don't like it. Seems unfair. We're going to attack it. And they attacked it based off the substance over form doctrine. And they basically said the substance is a sham. There's no substance. There's no risk. You can't invest 3,500 bucks and turn that into 5 million tax-free. We're not going to allow that. And basically, that was the IRS's argument. And um, the court essentially um, on appeal said, no, um, that's not right. You have to look at the form. The form is that Roth IRAs are approved shareholders. Congress clearly understood the rules of IRAs. They authorized IRAs to be shareholders and we have to allow it. It is in the code. Congress created these rules. We cannot overrule Congress. Thereby, the SUMA case was ruled in favor of the taxpayers because the IRS could not argue substance over form because the fact is an IRA was allowed to be a shareholder of a DISC. So DISCs, as I mentioned, kind of evaporated by law because um, there was um, international uh, upheaval on the DISCs because the international other countries felt that U.S. companies had too much of an advantage. So the discs were basically um, removed and Congress created FISCs, foreign sales corps, which basically have the same rules as discs. Okay. And what happened is that initially the, in the SUMA, the IRS won, but then the Sixth Circuit on appeal reversed. And again, as I mentioned, ruled for the taxpayer and basically said, hey, Congress knew about the Roths. They allowed Roth IRAs to be shareholders, so um, that's it, form prevails. The Mazai case, it's similar facts to SUMA. The Mazais entered in a plan to transfer funds from their family business through a FISC and then into Roth IRAs. In 98, the Mazais each contribute 2,000 bucks to their newly created Roth IRAs, and then they paid a nominal amount uh, for stock in the FISCs. From 98 to 2002, the Mazais routed payments of over 533,000 from their family export business uh, through the FISCs into the Roth IRAs. And again, the IRS uh, contended that these payments were shams. 
Um, there's no economic substance to them. They're basically over contributions. Instead of um, being limited to the Roth contribution limitations, they basically overstuffed their Roth IRA through this scheme and they um, argued to tax court that they should not allow uh, the scheme. The tax court actually ruled for the IRS and they agreed in the substance of the transaction didn't merit its acceptance. And even though the SUMA case was there, the Sixth Circuit basically um, ruled for uh, the IRS. So it went to appeal and thankfully the Ninth Circuit got it right. And they basically said, listen, the tax court erred in ignoring the congressional intent of the FISCs. Uh, the FISCs were created as a byproduct to DISCs. IRAs were shareholders of DISCs. They were codified and allowed as shareholders. If the IRS did not intend for IRAs to be shareholders, they would have uh, expressly prohibited IRAs to be shareholders of FISCs. They didn't. They didn't say specifically that IRAs could be shareholders of FISCs, but they didn't specifically prohibit it. So for that reason, the Ninth Circuit basically said, listen, form prevails. Again, Roth IRAs are allowed uh, to be shareholders of these foreign types of corporations. Uh, FISCs are codified by Congress. They were established by Congress, and we don't have the authority to rule against them. And Ninth Circuit, again, ruled for the taxpayer and allowed for these transactions to occur. So it's a big win for the taxpayer. Now, what can you take from these cases? Um, it's another win for form over substance. It's a big win, I think, for the Roth IRA. Again, the Roth IRA is codified under 408A, created by Congress. And um, it allows for Roth IRAs to invest in approved investments and shelter income. We see this from the Peter Thiel case. Um, there's a recent ProPublica article that Thiel was able to accumulate you know, billions of dollars in his Roth IRA from a very small investment. Same, same idea, right? The IRS looked at this transaction. They tried to argue substance over form in an audit. Uh, they were not successful and they were not able to even bring it to tax court or um, basically require Thiel to uh, pay any uh, taxes or penalties. Why? They couldn't attack it. They had two potential sources of attack, prohibited transaction. But in this case, Thiel um, owned less than 50% of these startups. Uh, they couldn't prove any type of self-dealing or conflict of interest because they were just startups. And number two, they paid, he paid fair market value, right? He paid exactly what any other shareholder at, at that time paid for these startup stocks that were basically worthless. So if you take that analogy, um, you focus on the form. The form is Roth IRAs are allowed to invest in startups. They're allowed to invest in any investment so long as they don't violate the IRS rules. The IRS was clearly aware of the potential for um, people to generate huge sums of tax-free wealth. They did not put a cap on the Roth IRAs in, in 1997 when they were created. Uh, they could, you know, Senator Widener of Oregon has talked about doing that um, in the Obama years. And now um, recently that chatters back because of the ProPublica article, but yeah, we'll see where that goes. But in any event, again, it's a big, big win for form over substance. The IRS is, is having trouble defend uh, arguing and contesting these transactions because again as long as you don't trigger a prohibited transaction you're under the 50 percent threshold or there's no self-dealing conflict of interest they have and that's more difficult to prove and you can show you've paid value for these shares um whether it's a fisc a disc or a startup in a shares in a, in a new company 
the IRS is going to be challenged to contest them. So overall, again, for me, someone who believes in the power of the retirement system, um, this is a, you know a big victory. I'm super happy that the Ninth Circuit, I think, got it right. I think it's an important victory because it brought the Mazai case in line with the Suma case, which uh, they should. They had very similar FASCs. One was in a DISC, one was in a FISC, same concepts, both IRAs owning it. And they should have similar um, outcomes, and, and now they do. So that's good. And again, for Roth IRA investors out there, you know, focusing on form that, hey, my Roth IRA accumulated a lot of wealth. It did everything legal, whether it was buying real estate, Bitcoin, gold, startup stocks, private equity, hedge funds. I've accumulated a lot, a lot of wealth in my Roth. Um, I should be protected based off the fact that Roths are codified. The form is secure. Congress created it. They understood at the time the ability to generate immense tax-free wealth. They did not cap it. And thus, it's going to be very hard continually for the IRS to contest these, these Roth IRA strategies. So long again as there's no privilege transaction, there's value paid, you're not taking a company that's worth $10 million and stuffing it into a Roth IRA for $1,000. I mean, the stuff works well. It worked in the uh, SUMA, it worked in the Mazai, and it also worked in Thiel's case because he paid fair market value at the outset, right? If, if, if Thiel bought into PayPal when it was worth $800 million and he got an undervalue on his shares, the IRS probably would have been successful. So if you're an entrepreneur out there, investor, and you, you have the ability to get into startups, do it in a Roth IRA. Again, so long as you're not gonna be a majority shareholder, even if you're just passively involved, even better, um, think about a Roth IRA. If you can get in uh, to the next PayPal, the next Facebook in a Roth, then you know, power to you. Um, you know, the, the one thing about this article that I don't think was fair is that not everyone is Peter Thiel, right? I, unfortunately, I've had lots of clients that invested, or at least they thought they were investing in the next Facebook or Palantir or PayPal. I mean, guess what? It doesn't turn out that way, right? The business just doesn't go anywhere and it happens. So why should we punish Peter Thiel for being successful? The forum was correct. He didn't do anything illegal, just like Suma, just like Mazai. They followed the form. They followed the letter of the law. If you want to be mad at anyone, be mad at Congress for creating DISCs and FISCs and allowing IRAs to be shareholders or creating the Roth IRA. Be mad at Senator Roth. You know, God you know, bless his soul. He's, he's passed away. But be mad at these people. Be mad at Congress. Don't be mad at people that follow the rules and do everything the right way and, and are lucky and smart. Uh, being rich isn't a zero-sum game. Not just Peter Thiel can do this. We all can do this if we're lucky and smart enough. I mean, he did go to Stanford Law. He's not a dummy. He uh, founded PayPal. He invested in Facebook you know, in the beginning. Kudos to him, right? So just like kudos to the uh, Bennington family and, and the Mazais, good for them. They figured out a way to use the tax code for their benefit, and they did it in a tax-efficient manner. And uh, my hat's off to them. May not be a popular take, but... Um, as a tax lawyer, this is the stuff that you know gets me turned on. So uh, maybe um, you know I'm, I got my own problems, but um, not illegal. So don't be mad at Benenson's. Don't be mad at the Mazai's. Don't be mad at, at the Ninth Circuit, the Sixth Circuit. If you're gonna be mad at anyone, be mad at Congress because they uh, allowed this to happen. So there you go. It's another episode of AdBits. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you can check out a blog if you just kind of Google. Well, maybe I'll put the description, uh, the link in the description of this podcast, did a blog kind of going through 
the Suma and the Mazad case, if you're interested. There's also links to the cases and the appeal cases if you want to dig into it um, and learn more about substance of reform. If you're really interested in substance of reform, the most important often cited Supreme Court case is Gregory v. Halverine. And it's an important case um, because it, it really focuses on the idea of uh, the ability to uh, minimize taxes legally and how that is not illegal so long as you stay within the confines of the code. You have no obligation to maximize your tax payments. You have the right to minimize your taxes so long as you do it legally, uh, which, you know, that's why I became a tax lawyer. The stuff just, you know, really resonated with me, made sense. It was black and white, um, just made, um, you know, sense because it was in the code. And uh, as I mentioned, in, in code we trust. So there you go. I hope uh, you enjoyed it. Subscribe if you haven't. Um, appreciate you guys listening, watching on YouTube. And uh, talk to everyone again next week. Take care.